in your Bibles. And this morning I want to speak about the only way to live. The only way to live from Philippians chapter 1. I don't know about you, but I've really been enjoying going through the book of Philippians. Ephesians was such a blessing. And uh, Philippians is a tremendous blessing. I'm just having such a great time of encouragement going through the Bible. Philippians chapter 1. I read an article yesterday which stated that over 40% of Irish adults have a mental health disorder. Wow. 40%. Over 40% of Irish people have, uh, or people in Ireland, should I say, Irish adults, have a mental health disorder, while more than 1 in 10 have attempted suicide, according to a recent study. The research conducted by Maynooth University, NCH, which is National College of Ireland, and Trinity, College Dublin found 42% of the 1,100 adults involved met their diagnostic requirements for at least one mental health disorder. That means that almost half the people in this country have great struggles in their minds. <coughs> Those struggles are brought about by insomnia, 15%, deep depression, 12%, alcohol abuse, 9%, general anxiety, 7%. Brethren, I want to tell you this morning, that's no way to live. It's no way to live. Before someone says they just need to get born again, getting saved does not remove insomnia. I'm really thankful for you praying for my son Josiah. He could get a good rest. He needed it. And God has blessed him with that. But getting saved does not remove depression. And it does not remove anxiety or temptation to take addictive substances. But salvation should make a massive change in our lives. And as we work out this great salvation, and that's the key, brethren, to work out the salvation, it should begin to make its way into every single area of our lives. We can't have a superficial salvation. We can't have a surface-level salvation. We need a deep salvation. There's a song we love singing that, that says, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Well, the deep, deep love of Jesus needs to go deep into our souls, brethren. And work out a wonderful salvation that God has given us. And it should help us to develop new godly habits. It should help us to think differently, act differently, live differently. Such that unbelievers see the difference in our lives and say, I want what you have. I think we saw that this morning in Boaz and Ruth. But that's what we need. But that brethren takes a four-letter word that we don't really like so much. A lot of work. We've got to work out this salvation, the Bible says. We have it. We need to work it out. And as we consider these things, I would like us to think about the only way to live. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not, or I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Verse 23, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you Again, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. This book is precious. 
Thank you, God, that this book has everything we need. Everything we need. I have proven it. I have tested it. And I've come to the solid conclusion it has everything I need to live this life. And there are many people in this room who have, a, have testified, could testify the exact same thing. Lord, help us this morning. Help us to meet with you. Help us be helped by you this morning. And I pray this morning we'll leave here different because we found out from your word even this morning the only way to live in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Number one, the only way to live is Christ. The only way to live is Christ. Look at verse 21. For me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, in your own words, I want you to fill in that blank. For to me to live is, now in your words, not the Bible, forget the Bible here for a second. For me to live is, what going on that I was speaking to an unsaved man somewhat recently and he says, you know, I just love going to church because I get a peace in church. I'm so glad he gets peace in church. But brethren, we need more than just a bit of peace. Some will say, for me to live is Christ, or sorry, for me to live is a bit of peace. Then I'm living. Some say, for me to live is to relax on the weekend and catch up on my sleep after a long week. I spoke to one of my classmates recently. We had a school reunion. It was 15 years now. <laughs> Just joking. I shall not bear false witness. It was a lot more than that, okay? But we had a 30-something year reunion, and we had a, 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 a class reunion there. And I speak to one of the girls, and she made this statement. I, this is what she said. I'm going to say it verbatim. I finished college. I did accounting by night. And working in a financial services company, I worked my way up to the top financial spot and stayed there for 25 years until October 2019 when I retired. Good timing with COVID, etc. But then, now I'm back working. Life is good. So she might say, for me to live is to reach and excel my own personal goals. But I want to ask you this morning, what are you living for? For me to live is we know the answer. No, I don't want you know. We know the answer. <laughs> what is it? What do you live? Honestly, now. I want to ask that question for yourself. We all know the right answer. It's like the Sunday school kids and the teacher asks the question. And there's usually, in Sunday school classes, usually two answers. It's either God or the devil. You know? <laughs> and they know the right answers. But if you ask the word, the world, should I say, they might say, for me to live is to make my parents proud. For me to live is to conquer my fears, to travel to new places. This is what the world says, by the way. To inspire and help others, to make new friends, to get married, to come home to someone I love, to complete milestones, to be around those who mean the most to me. And one person, or maybe a few people, even said this, for me to live is to find forgiveness. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. But what about you, honestly? Take time to reflect. What are you living for? Honestly. For me to live is 
Fill in the blank honestly with yourself. Some people have a negative, if I talk on life, I read this this week. One author cynically wrote, when I approached 40, when I approached 40, I'm sorry, I achieved my career goals but still felt empty. I went through a few relationships and realized that love is fleeting. I saw two of my friends die young and understood how unfair life is. I reflected on my childhood only to realize my time has passed. I saw my grandma live to 90 but suffered alone and unloved in the last 20 years. I reflected on the fact that there are 8 billion people in the world with everyone going through the same thing. I am unimportant. And death is absolute and come, can come anytime. In the meantime, I probably have 70 years to live in which I will spend most of my years doing what society has set for me to do. Study, work, marry, have kids, retire, die. I will spend most of my time dealing with nasty people, money issues and health problems. Then I will dine and die and join the forgotten 100 billion who have walked this world before me. How meaningful is all that? That's quite negative, wouldn't you admit? Got a million views for that negativity, nice one. I know professing Christians who act this way, who feel this way. For me to live is just to go through a difficult life until finally I get to be with God. That's honestly how they live. I'm here to say to you, brethren, that that cynicism is not for the believer. God's answer to this cynicism is for me to live is Christ. Now, those who live for Christ see life and eternity very, very differently. I spoke to a lady in Dunn Stories and it was really interesting. I was, I was getting something, I was looking for something and I couldn't see, it was a new Dunn's and I couldn't see where the, the thing was. And she said, well, I work in the deli and I don't have time. I said, okay. He said, oh, I'm, I, I'm just catching myself. I'm sorry, I'm being rude. I'll, I'll show you where it is. I said, no, just tell me. I'll point to me where, where, where it is. And, and uh, she, she said, no, I'll show you. Well, that backtrack from her turned into a conversation about 10 or 15 minutes where I was able to share the gospel with her. It was actually a really good conversation. And she was so thankful I was able to talk to her about Christ. And she apologized for her, her, her roughness at the beginning, which I really didn't care about. People are who they are. Fine. But she made this statement in the course of the conversation. She said, so you really know where you're going to go when you die. Yeah. And you're okay with dying and you're not afraid to die. No. No. If you live the way you're supposed to live, then you're going to be ready to die the way you're supposed to die. Amen? Amen. Brethren, those who face life the right way, are able to face the death, death the right way. And for Paul, death was gain. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain, he said. He was on target to finish his course. He was keeping in the battle, fighting the good fight. He was remaining faithful, keeping the faith. Henceforth there was laid up for him a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, would give him at that day. And brethren, I dare say he has that crown right now. He was living the dream. I was talking to somebody recently and her son is one of the most famous people in Ireland and I saw her passing by and she said, I'm living the dream. I thought to myself, really? <laughs> saw her again. Jen and I saw her again a couple of days ago. She's not living the dream. 
finances, having money doesn't make you live the dream. I'd rather have nothing and wonder how I'm going to pay for my oil this year than be living that kind of dream. Paul was, was, had, was, had finished his course and, and, he, and he was at the end, towards the end of finishing his course, should I really say. And he was living a dream. He was making his heavenly father proud. The world says, I'd like to make my father proud. I, I told you already about that man who quit his job in his 40s and, 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 and went to take care of his father who had neglected him as a child growing up. But he just wanted his father's approval. And he said to his father at the end of his life, his father's life, he said, Dad, have I ever done anything to make you proud of me? And his dad says, let me think about that. I've told you that already. That's not new. But I want to say this. Paul was making his heavenly father proud. How could we hear him that? He was living the dream. He was conquering his fears. Everybody has fears of something. Some people are afraid of spiders. We saw a spider walk up the room. And I, apologies if you like spiders. But this was a big spider. It didn't belong in my bedroom. I took it. When my, my clawed things, what do you call those things? Those crocs. And I whacked that spider. I got him head on and he kept on going. <laughs> he said, that didn't hurt. <laughs> he went down the wall. He hit some crack. And I prayed that night that he wouldn't land on my head and come back and bite me that night. And I'm fine. <laughs> you wouldn't be afraid of spiders. But the Apostle Paul conquered his fears as he was living his dream. He was traveling to new places. People say, to live is to travel to new places. I remember being told by my father, you know, you're in college now. You need to take your summers off and travel the world. But where am I going to get a ticket to travel the world? I was broke. Of course, that didn't come into it. But, you know, work at the kibbutz and they'll pay, they'll make your, 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 they'll pay your airfare. I just wanted to serve God in my church. I know people don't normally think that way. I'm glad for those who do. But you know what? Now I get to travel the world for Jesus. People ask me in different countries, will you come over and speak? Sure, I'll go and speak in your church. Take my wife with me, have a good time. But Paul was living the dream. He was traveling. He was meeting new people. He was completing milestones. And he was making friends. These friends became his converts. He was making godly targets. He was hitting those godly targets he set for himself. And he found the forgiveness of Christ. I look at all those things that the world says I'd love to have. Paul had them in a spiritual sense and a fulfilling sense. But that was not what he lived for. For me to live is Christ. He lived for Christ and that was the most important thing to him. And brethren, I want to tell you something. When you live for Jesus... Everything else falls into place. You and I have tried to work it out ourselves. How am I going to work out these bills? I tell you what I'll do. I just won't pay my tithe this month. God will understand. Guess what happens when you pay that bill? Next month, more bills come. Oops, Lord, I have to do it again. <laughs> Trust God. Trust God. Pay your tithe. I've learned over the years that God is faithful and I've instilled that into my children and it's a great joy to me to see my children following in the same footsteps saying, I'll give to God and I'll trust God for the rest. And guess what? God is still faithful. A generation later, God's still faithful. Isn't that wonderful? Brethren, we try to figure it out. 
I know the Bible says I need to do this, but I, I've got, I, I, you know, I'm going to let her have a piece of my mind. I'm going to let him have a piece of my mind. Well, you know, I think you need all your mind, so I wouldn't give anybody part of your mind. But we, we try to figure things out ourselves and it doesn't work. Only to find out later in life, if only I just done things God's way. I want to tell you something, when you start to do things God's way, everything starts to fall into place. Paul saw life differently to almost everyone else around him. Because he realized, number one, the only way to live is Christ. Number two, the only way to live is to take on an inner struggle. Now this may be interesting that I'm saying the need to have an inner struggle because we know that 40 some percent of this country is facing inner struggles and are not dealing with them very well. And they're being led, this country being led by people who are creating more inner struggles for them because this world and the leadership of our country is saying, forget about your conscience, you don't need a conscience. We're gonna give you this new form of morality, go with that. And it's killing people inside killing people inside. And this world has an inner struggle, but I'm submitting to you this morning, we need our own inner struggle. And you're saying, but this is not what I want, I want peace. No, we need a struggle. You say, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 22. Look at it says here. For I live, for if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I want not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. There is an inner struggle, brethren, that I submit to you every single Christian should face. There is an inner battle we should all have on us upon all, all the time, and that struggle is between being with God and staying on earth. That should always be there. You should face that struggle, and you will face that struggle when you labor the right labor. The Bible says in verse 22, says here, for if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Everybody labors. But sometimes, brethren, we labor the wrong labor. The wrong labor has you so tired, you don't have time to read your Bible. That's the wrong labor. The wrong labor has you so tired, you don't have a prayer life. The wrong labor has you so tired, you don't have time to be in the house of God. The wrong labor is the sun, you're so tired, you don't have time to, to be involved in the work of God. That's the wrong labor. There is a right labor. And when you labor the right labor, God gives you this life and this joy and this peace. And you seem to be able to get all your responsibilities fulfilled. There's a preacher, man of God, and he said to his friends, I need to get up an hour earlier to pray. I'm so busy in work, I, and my work and my labors. I don't have time not to pray. God always gives grace and strength to, to those who need it. Would you agree with that? I hear people say, I just need more time. God has always given us enough time. Actually, he has the same. There's always enough time in the day to do what God wants you to do. She's right. She's right. There's always enough time. We just need to labor the right labor. And the Apostle Paul says, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. So he was laboring the right labor. And you'll face that struggle, if you the, the, the good struggle, the good fight if you labor the right labor. But also, you'll face that struggle if you're bringing forth fruit from your labor. Who wants to labor for nothing? As one of our ladies keeps saying to her children, <laughs> Everything around us is going to burn up someday. It is. Everything, this building is going to burn up. Could you imagine? We, 
we have signed. Could you, could you imagine that if this building officially becomes ours and the, at the closing, and then everything gets burned up someday? <laughs> We're all raptured. Oh, so much for that. No, it was, a good, it was a good thing to fight for, and labor for, and work for. But you know what? We don't know when the Lord's coming back, right? So let's just focus on the here and now, right now, with one eye in heaven. One eye in heaven, one eye in earth. But we want fruit for our labor. You don't want to labor and labor and labor and stand before God empty handed because you know what? Euros are not the currency of heaven. So everything in your bank account you can't bring with you. And dollars aren't the currency of heaven. And the yen is the currency of heaven. Do you know what? The currency of heaven is the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for all of our sin. And when we work for Jesus Christ, we're bringing our labors with us and this fruit for our labor. Do you know what fruit for labor is? People. When we labor to see people taken out of their sin, taken out of the jaws of death, taken out of the flames of hell, so to speak, and brought into a new relationship with God, and they're born again, and they're washed in the blood of Jesus. That's called fruit, isn't it? And that goes with you to heaven. Could you imagine standing for God? And you're seeing the people, God shows you the people you were able to impact and the people you were able to influence because you sacrificed, you gave your money to missions, you gave your money to the Fagais and the Kishes and, and the Kaleens and, and all of our missionaries, and you gave to missions, and God says, you have a part, see these people? You have a part in their souls. Do you think there'll be tears in their eyes? Thank you, Lord, for allowing me part of that. Brethren, there's fruit that comes from laboring the right labor. And when you're laboring the right labor and you're bringing forth the right fruit, you're going to have a struggle. Paul was completely ready to embrace death. He said, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart. He said, I, 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 I'm ready to face death. Death and destruction, sorry, death is the destruction of everything we know. It puts an end to our hopes, our goals, our dreams, our aspirations. It brings an end to our influence upon earth. We can no longer provide for our family. We can no longer enjoy all the things we've labored for on earth. Death is fine. It's over. We naturally have an aversion to death. But Paul had an inclination to death. That seems backwards, doesn't it? Brethren, that's because he was fighting the right fight. And there's an inner struggle that Christians should regularly have. What was on the other side of this life drew Paul more than anything that was here in this earth. The Bible says Paul was in a strait between two competing options. Verse 23, I am in a strait betwixt two, he says. A strait is a narrow passage of water between two large, la la not too large, but between two landforms. Connecting two seas or two bodies of water. And a strait is narrow. And it's a cramped area to pass through. Have you heard of the Strait of Gibraltar? The Gibraltar Strait is a narrow strait that separates Europe from Africa. Britain controls part of it. Spain contests their control. Why? Because it's key to the Mediterranean. If it didn't lie in the international waters, the international territorial waters, which grants freedom of passage from, from vessels going through from one side to the other, the journey through the Gibraltar Strait would prevent foreign navigators and, and it would present them, should I say, with a very tricky situation. Paul said this, I'm in a strait. 
I'm in my own strait. I'm preoccupied. I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm afflicted with two competing options. He yearned to leave this earth and be with Jesus. He said, I just can't wait to get out of this world and be with the Lord. I have not seen, brethren, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things that God has prepared, prepared for them that love him. He wanted to be with the Lord. He wanted to, his faith to become sight. The Bible says in Romans 8, for the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. He wanted to be with the Lord. He wanted the Lord to show himself. He wanted to see Jesus. He yearned for that day. There will be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Revelation chapter 21. He would be finally freed from this life and join his Savior, which would be far better. Isn't that what he said? For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He lived to love Jesus. He lived to serve Christ. And death would be the open door to, into the eternal presence of God. But Paul also had another burden, a competing burden. He was arrested and constrained by the burden to remain on earth. Verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. There was so much people to reach. So much work to be done. There were more New Testament books to be written, more souls to be reached, more, more Christians to encourage, more churches to be planted. Dying would be far better for him, but staying would be, more, would be better for them. That was some struggle. And the Apostle Paul felt it daily. I want to ask you the question, where are you at with that burden? <coughs> Are you numb inside? Or are you burning inside? You're burning. <coughs> the only way to live is Christ. The only way to live is to take on this inner struggle that I'm talking to you about from the scriptures. But finally, the only way to live is to choose Christ. Sorry, let me be worried. The only way to live is to choose to live. Brethren, we have to choose. There are some people who consider ending their lives because they're not choosing to live. There are some people who lay in bed all day because they're not choosing to live. There are some people who get and open their devices and they live in the virtual world because they're not choosing to live. There are some people who get immersed in their work and all they do is work and because they don't choose to live. There are people who all they want to do is play and get satisfaction for themselves because they're not choosing to live. Brethren, I want to present to you this morning, God wants us to live. He wants us to live. Ezekiel chapter 37, please, in your Bibles. Ezekiel 37, please keep your marker there in Philippians 1. Ezekiel 37. This is one of the most beautiful Old Testament pictures. Ezekiel 37 in your Bibles. Many of God's precious children. Now let me just make a statement here. God couldn't possibly love you more than he already loves you. 
God doesn't love you based on your performance. He, based, he loves you based on his love. I'm so glad about that, aren't you? Because otherwise, some days we'd feel loved, and other days we would not feel loved at all. Okay? God's love is unconditional. God's children are precious. But they, some of God's children just exist. That's all they do is they just exist. They don't live. Ezekiel 37, look at verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel said, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. And the reason why people are already existing is because the hand of the Lord is not upon them. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord is upon other Christians. You can see it's so obvious they're living for God. But there are many of God's precious children. The hand of the Lord is not upon them. He's a bit distant from them. Not what he wants. Not what they need. Verse 4. Again he said unto me, Prophesy, Ezekiel. Prophesy upon these bones. And say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. These bones are dry. Why are they dry? Because they lack spiritual life. There are many of God's precious children. He loves them, but they lack spiritual life. Verse 5. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. All God's precious children need is the fresh breath of God upon their lives and they will start to live. Look at verse 6. And I will lay sinews upon you and I will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with the skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. God is able to give us everything we need to live. We need to look to him for his grace. Look to him for his power. Look to him to, for his provision. And not stop looking to cisterns that can't hold any water. Are you with me here this morning? We need God. We know we need God. But there's a lot of people in this world who know they need to be saved. And they've, they've never gotten saved and they never will get saved. Knowledge is not enough. We've got to get beyond, we've got to find a way, brethren, to get beyond what we know to what we need. We just need to do what God has told us to do. When things are important to us, we go for it. It was important to me this summer to go on a holiday with my wife. We had a few extra euros. I said, Jen, let's do it. Kids were going to camp. Free babysitters. I said, let's go on holidays. Let's go to, let's go to, to the Algarve. Let's get on a moped. Let's drive all over the Algarve. We did it. We had such a blast. I don't regret it. I'm broke now. But I scared my wife and I said, I really am broke. But, but, but my God is rich. I just need to say, Lord, I need some help here. <laughs> keep the oil, let the oil keep burning. <laughs> Amen? Until some money comes back in the coffers again. But you know, I don't regret it because I seized the moment. Carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the day, seize the moment. 
Brethren, we always do the things that are important to us. We always do. Every single one of the 8 billion people upon this earth right now always do the things that are important to them. Why? Because it's important. It needs to become important to us to want God. The Lord sometimes has to break us. I confess I pray for some of my children. God will break them. I'm not asking God to curse them or hurt them. I don't want them hurt. I want them broken. I see God working in their lives. Because it's more important to me to see God bring difficulty and challenges and hardship into their lives so they see they need Him than it is for them to have a great and peaceful and prosperous life. Because a prosperous life will send many people to hell. I read prayer letters from missionaries and it breaks my heart. Because they'll talk about their achievements of their children intellectually, educationally, academically, and, and financially. I couldn't care less. I want to read about children of missionaries and preachers who love Jesus Christ, who are going on for God and making a difference everywhere they go. That's what motivates me, that stirs me, that encourages me. That's what I love to see. That's what we all need to see. Would you agree with that? We need this. And the only way that will ever happen in our lives is when we make this our number one priority in life. And brethren, unashamedly, I've told you, my family's first before you, and I don't, I will do anything for you, but my family's number one. I'm sorry. I will not put my, anybody else before my family. I told God that before I go into ministry, Lord, I'll go into ministry, but my family's going to be first. God has been so good to me. And he's blessed me. And I didn't even know for sure if that was the right thing, but I knew it was the right thing for me. <laughs> I've had people criticize me for that, but I don't care. They don't have to stand before God for my family, I do. And I'm the pastor of my wife, and I'm the pastor of my children, and sometimes I have to remind them of that. Not to pull rank or to get authority, I'm not interested in that. I care for my family. But that's important to me, brother. And we can say, Anything we want about what's important, because we all know the Sunday school answers. We all do. I do. You do. We all do. We're all the same. But until we say, God, I need this, and no matter what it takes, I'm going to have this by your grace. I need you, because I nothing else is more important than you, because you died on the cross for my sins. You control everything, and I'm willing to trust you. And it may be difficult. It may be challenging. I may be afraid. And boy, do I get afraid sometimes. But I trust you. Sometimes when you're going through a trial, you open up your Bible. I've gone through some things recently. I opened my Bible. I said, God, show me something from your word. And God shows me something. That's it. I'm resting on this. That's what you said, God. I'm doing that. Because I don't know anything else to do. Because I don't have a clue. But I know someone who does. His name is Jesus. The Bible says, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise. Behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone by to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above. There was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the 
four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came in unto them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. I understand that that's about Israel, I understand that, but it also applies to us. How do you know 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5? You can look it up for yourself, I'm not going to go there. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5 says that applies to us too. We just need to do what God tells us to do. Ezekiel had no way of giving, putting skin and flesh and sinews on the bones. He couldn't do that. He had no way of putting life in those bones. He just did what God told him to do. That's all God asks of us. And brethren, we need to see life differently than we do right now. If our life is not working the way it should, doing the same things is not going to make any difference. The only way we can see change in our circumstances if we ch is if we change what we're doing. Would you agree with that? It's got to be change. We need to enter into that inner struggle, brethren, between wanting to live with God and wanting to live for God. Can I say to you, you're not going to live for God in heaven too late. You're going to be with Him. Praise God, I can't wait. You can't live for him anymore. That day is gone. You can't live by faith anymore. That day is gone. You're just going to live in complete obedience because that's all you need. There's no sin in heaven. There's no failure in heaven. There's no disobedience in heaven. There's perfect righteousness. We're all looking forward to it. Amen? Amen. But you can't live for God in heaven, but you can live for God in heaven. And Paul had that battle of, well, I want to live with God, but I also want to live for God. <coughs> And when we have that battle going on in our lives, that's when God begins his reviving work. And can I say to you this morning, that's when we begin to live. We begin to live. To live for Christ is to live for the sake of others. Look at verse 24. I'm sorry, we're back in Philippians chapter 1. We're back in Philippians 1. I want to turn there. Philippians 1 verse 24. <clears throat> Paul said, verse 23, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. To live for Christ is to live for the sake of others. Living for others means doing what benefits them. Sacrificing for them, putting their needs above your own needs. Putting yourself out for them. And again, I've said this many times, and I say it again, it's completely unnatural to even think that way. It is natural to want to provide for yourself. It's natural to want to provide for your family. That's natural. It's natural to want to provide for your future. Sacrificing for strangers is unnatural, isn't it? It is. It's just unnatural. But brethren, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. As the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle, the, the epistle to the Philippians, this letter to the Philippians, he was stuck in prison. Why? For the sake of others. He suffered great deprivation for the sake of others. Brethren, freely he gave. And do you know, do I tell you why he went through that? Not because he was special, and he was special. He went through all that because he got a hold of his salvation. That's why. He got a hold of his salvation. Because there are many people who, after the Apostle Paul, lived just like him. And there are people today, in prison today, for their faith. Why? 
because they get a hold of their salvation. Paul did not know when the Lord would call him home, but while he awaited his home going, he was going to live for Christ and he was going to live for others. That's living. That's living. <laughs> to live for Christ is to live. To live for Christ is to live for others. When I say to live, I mean to choose to live, isn't it? To live for others. And then also to live for Christ is to, to want them to advance. Look at verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with all you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. He didn't worry about his own comfort. He didn't worry about his own bills, his own food, his own clothing, his own shelter, his own needs. That's what the Gentiles worry about, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He had no concern for any of those things. And I challenge you this morning to get that mindset on yourself. Don't worry about worldly things. I'm not saying don't put away money for the future. I'm not saying don't go to the shop and buy clothes when you need clothes. I'm saying don't worry about any of it. Don't be bothered about it. Don't concern yourself with it. Paul was in prison. You don't need those things when you're in prison. He didn't live to get ahead. He lived to get other people ahead. Last week I was, we started watching, do you know what the thing that's so intriguing for me right now? I was uh, on celebrating our anniversary. Jenny and I were celebrating our anniversary. We stayed in the hotel. I told you about that. And then the day after that, we went to uh, St. Vincent de Paul, you know, the charity shop to look for some things. And, and I saw a, a series of videos, DVDs, six DVDs set on Israel, a euro. Now we live, remember, we live in an anti-Semitic country. And so Israel does not factor at all in. The fact that it was even there was amazing. But I, I bought it for a euro. We started watching the video. So we're watching about the Six Day War, 1948, when the Arab conflict came in, and 1973, the Yom Kippur War. We're seeing all this stuff now. We haven't seen it all, but we watched the 1948 conflict. And then we heard about a lady called Shuna Cohen. You may have heard about her. She was a wealthy woman. She was married to a Lebanese Jewish merchant in 1933. She was only 16 at the time. She had access to top diplomats and influential people by frequently throwing parties and inviting them. Using her natural beauty and her ability to easily converse, she began to gather information regarding plots to destroy Israel. Now this is in Beirut, this is in Lebanon, okay? And then she relayed that back, information back to Israeli intelligence, which is really interesting. She addressed the letter to Jerusalem and she wrote it in invisible ink. Really, the story is just amazing. And she didn't know who she was writing to, she didn't have any contacts, contacts, but it found its way into Israeli intelligence, who became later known as the Mossad. For 14 years, she kept relaying information back that she was hearing back from these parties she was throwing, and she was overhearing conversations about att attacks they wanted to make on Israel. But they caught her, and she was mercilessly tortured by the Lebanese government. She refused to reveal any information, to implicate anybody. This all began because she overheard two high-ranking officials at a party talking about a plot to attack Israel right at the beginning, right at the beginning 1948, just after they were established as a nation. It would have been so easy, so easy, 
for her to walk away saying, I'm only in my early 30s, I don't know these people, I have no contacts, I can just walk away. But there was a burning within her heart that said, I've got to do something for my people. It cost her. It cost her. She lost everything. She had to leave Beirut with her husband. They had to leave with nothing. They left everything behind to go to Israel. But she did everything she could to preserve the nation of Israel. Like the Apostle Paul himself, he lived for the furtherance of others. And, and Shula Cohen lived for the furtherance of her people. That's sacrifice, isn't it? She was just an ordinary person. Someone like you and me. Yet her perspective was completely different. You see the difference? Completely different. <laughs> to live for Christ is to live for the advancement of others. But finally, to live for Christ is to live to fill others with joy. Look at verse 26. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Brethren, there's so much negativity in the world. I wouldn't like to come to church knowing what was going on out there and just have a heaviness going on all the time, would you? It's easy to be negative. It's easy to, to, to go on and on and on and on and on about the negativity. We don't need this. There's way too much anger, way too much frustration, way too much discouragement, way too much cynicism. Sin abounds, and that's the reason why people have such issues with mental health. What we need is a great big dose of joy. Amen? Well, some of you think so. <laughs> but joy is abundant, verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant. And the Bible says uh, it, it's not just abundant, the Greek word behind that is super abundant, overflowing. Brethren, the Apostle Paul had that joy in himself through Christ. And he wanted to share the joy with others. He had so much joy, he had plenty left over to share. That's what we need. Would you agree with that? That's to live. That's to live. We began this message this morning talking about the only way to live. We said the only way to live is Christ. And I ask you the question, honestly, be honest, please. Is that your testimony? Do all your decisions point towards living for Christ in heaven? Are you distracted by your pursuits? Or do you live only for him? We also said the only way to live is to take on that inner struggle. Do you find yourself frequently torn between living on earth and wanting to be with Jesus Christ? Are you, do you find yourself wrestling with that struggle? You want to be with him, but you want to serve him more while you're here on earth. And finally, we said the only way to live is to choose to live. Do you merely exist? I thank you again for praying for Josiah. When he couldn't sleep, he said, I feel like a shell. I feel like I'm just existing. And he hated it. Falling asleep in church, falling asleep in lectures, he hated it. He was just so tired. That's not living, is it? Something had to change. Do you merely exist or do you choose to live with the life of God in you? Do you live for the sake of others to see them advance 
to see their lives filled with the joy of Jesus Christ. This morning we saw from Philippians chapter 1, the only way to live. And my question is, is that your testimony? Can we go to the Lord in prayer? Can we do that?